Cocaine was the drug of choice in the 80s, but in the 90s, LSD made a comeback among teenagers looking for a cheaper and more visually stimulating high. And for many Gen Xers, the acid trip defined their high school years, which makes John Reed wonder. Why, 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 why is not a movie? Hello and welcome to Why It's Not a Movie, the podcast where we look at a moment in history or a book or a story we can rip from the headlines and ask Hollywood when no one's ever put it onto the big screen. I'm Mike Vega, author and regular contributor to the AV Club. Joining me this week is John Reed, who hosts the show Race to the Bottom on Radio Free Brooklyn, which you can find at RadioFreeBrooklyn.com. John, thanks for coming on the show. Tell us about your high school experiences with LSD and why they need to be made into a movie. Well, I grew up in Norfolk, Virginia, and I went to high school from 94 to 98. And let's just say that everyone that I knew was experimenting with LSD at some point or another. And a lot of my friends did so a lot. And I've always wondered how it was so prevalent. And I was just poking through some different articles. And this was all up the eastern seaboard, at least. I saw Baltimore, DC, all these articles about how LSD was the drug of choice for kids for high school students. And a few things pop out at me. One is that I look back at my group of friends and knowing now, looking at a 15-year-old, 16-year-old as an adult and imagining the experience of taking really strong hallucinogenics and having an eight to 10-hour psychedelic experience, when your brain's your prefrontal cortex is not fully developed, I just can't believe it happened uh, with the prevalence that it did. And this was in my high school. This was from it wasn't just the hippies. It was the the jocks, the the preps. Every, every, it was just, you know, rampant. And when I was in college in the 90s, you know, LSD was a big drug choice there. And maybe it was like I went to school in Buffalo and LSD was cheap. It's a way a friend of mine put it. I can spend eight hours to go see a two-hour movie. I could spend two dollars to have an eight-hour trip. <laughs> I'm just being sensible. <laughs> yeah, but you also had like twenty-year-olds who were already pretty, like experienced, you know, acid users. And you know, now now that I'm in my mid-forties, like some of those people turned out to be like stable, normal adults. But I don't know that all of them did. Yeah, we can get into that for sure in our movie and and also in my personal experience. So that's the first bucket is just what it did personally for all these young people to embrace such a powerful drug. And then the second question that I've always had is where did all this come from? And I think it had a lot to do with the Grateful Dead and Fish from my research and that touring culture and the parking lot scene and how prevalent that was. And, and fish was really starting to become like the, the cultural phenomenon that they would become. And the dead was winding down, but still huge. I think that that has a lot to do with it. And I think that that has a lot of potential for like the crazy guys in the lab for the casting and for the storytelling. Oh, yeah. And, and I think going from the dead to fish, I think there was an unbroken like social scene. Yes. Surrounding those two bands and, and the drug culture just carried over. But it was, you know, pre-internet, that was how you networked. Yes. You went to a show and somebody hooked you up. And this really strong grassroots social network of those groups that was completely national and 
I mean, they had a very long history of running illegal drugs through that network. So yeah, so that that has a lot of potential for an interesting thing. And and I don't know that, you know, we can get into how this would be scored and the music would be very important for this movie. But I don't know if Fish has been featured in a movie very heavily, their music, and it could be a, an opportunity for that. Not that I'm a huge Fish fan. A lot of my friends were, but they've got some tracks. But if you want something that's period appropriate and sort of LSD appropriate, you, you really can't like avoid Fish. Yeah, exactly. And I've got some other ideas about that. And then the third kind of big bucket of things would be the law enforcement. Obviously, the FBI finally cracked down on this. And I don't know the ins and outs. I would love to spend a lot of time researching all of this and the undercover stuff that must have been going on. Also a great casting device for the undercover agents. So yeah, that's kind of like the big outline of the sections. And I can see the movie kind of alternating between these these three worlds, whatever small town and main characters, the younger high school kids or college kids that are experimenting. You've got the small town dealers. You've got the larger town dealers. Then you've got local law enforcement. You've got parents who are finding out about their kids' experiments. And of course, you're going to have the obligatory bad trip stuff. And that opens a whole can of worms. I think a lot of times whenever LSD is portrayed on screen, it can really be hacky. Like it's not from what I understand about LSD. It's not like you're drunk or like you're um, loopy. It's actually very clear and extra real. I mean, there might be visuals, but your senses are attuned, not dulled. Yeah, I, I have not used LSD myself. I'll cop to that. But I, as I understand it, it's more of like a heightened state. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it got popular in Silicon Valley because people would take it and then do programming and do really complex algorithms and things. It's not. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, I knew, um, you know, I knew sort of stereotypical like burnout musician types who did, did acid all the time. But I also studied computer science in college. And a lot of those kids were also doing acid too. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of the overview. And I kind of see things continuing to intersect, you know, things really hitting the fan in the second act with bad trips and with people getting busted and with the party ending, you know, the first 20, 30 minutes of the movie, I feel like could be really fun to just kind of go wild and then have that come, come to a crashing halt. I was going to ask you what sort of movie you saw this as being, but I think that explains it very well. I think what you're describing, like the first thing that comes to mind is Boogie Nights, that yeah. early on is kind of a fun hangout movie where people are yes. doing this thing that's maybe outside of your experience, and then it all goes to shit. Yes, definitely. But then you also have the law enforcement angle where they're trying to crack the code on this thing. And, you know, I thought about the possibility of to kind of personalize it to have one of the kids who was experimenting be the kid of of law enforcement uh either local or or fbi to kind of parallel the the lives you know a, a bit of like a wire kind of thing where you don't know who you're rooting for uh would be nice to kind of throw in there yeah 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 i always think about 
I'm a huge adaptation fan and Spike Jones would be one of my possible directors. I'm sure we'll get into that, but in adaptation, Nicolas Cage's brother is writing his kind of hackneyed spy thriller, serial killer movie and is having so much more success than Charlie Kaufman is. And Charlie says something like, Donald, you're exploring the idea that criminals and law enforcement are two sides of the same coin, which is a a trope that's been done. It's been done again. again." But uh, I do think that it has some, it could be fun in this context. And also sometimes tropes are done over and over again because there's something interesting about it. And, you know, there's a lot to say about it. Yeah. And, you know, because Traffic did the same thing where Michael Douglas his daughter has a you know drug problem and then he steps down at the end because you know we can't declare war on our own family like there's all yes. sorts of different approaches to that and it's also a very real thing that a lot of people have to deal with yeah of being on both sides of the issue so yeah i'm i was thinking we could kind of beat this thing out maybe a little bit that's kind of the rough sketch that i have maybe maybe we could get to the storyline by doing director and cast yeah i think that i think that makes sense all right well spike jones um you want somebody who has a grasp of the surreal to do an LSD movie. And you want somebody who's going to, you want somebody who's going to do the experience of that justice and make it accurate rather than just like, Oh, here's some wacky stuff we're throwing up on screen, which I think is generally how the drug has been portrayed and drug in general been portrayed in film. And so, you know, Spike Jones has always done surrealist touch as well. Is there anybody else you thought would be a good fit for this? Uh, Michelle Gondry. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what he's done recently, but I think he would be great. I feel like one of the best portrayals of a drug um, in the past 10 years was Wolf of Wall Street with the barbiturates. Oh, yeah. I I talked to so many people who, you know, barbiturates were long gone by the time I was around. But I talked to so many people who were like, man, I want to find some barbiturates. (laughs) (laughs) I at least at the beginning, uh, it definitely goes south. But oh, I was just in a conversation, I don't know, on Twitter, maybe on a movie group, I'm on the line somewhere about how, like somebody was saying that train spotting made heroin look attractive. I was like, did you finish the movie? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I, I would not agree with, with that. Yeah. I um, don't know how that's your takeaway of train spotting. Yeah. I'm trying to think of LSD. Um, I mean, there's easy rider. I feel like this is a really untapped. That's true. There's not a lot of movies that are so like sort of strictly about the culture and, and I feel like there were maybe some very, very, I don't know, crude attempts to at like, you know, there was like sort of sixties, you know, drug exploitation, the kids are out of control kind of movies, but that took maybe a one level of a reefer madness in terms of sophistication and honest intent. Yeah. You know, I want to believe that we as a like movie making society have gotten a little bit better at portraying drugs, honestly, and for the, the good and the bad of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you seen, I haven't seen uh, euphoria, the, show with Zendaya on HBO where she's a teenage drug addict, but no, I've heard it's, I've heard it's really good. Cause I, I feel like based on the reviews that probably handles drug use very well, but yeah, but I feel like we're ready for a more sophisticated portrayal that shows the good and the bad because like, it's not the like horribly addictive drug that heroin or meth or cocaine is, but that doesn't mean there isn't a tremendous downside. And just to me from an outside perspective, it seems like more of a crapshoot. Yes. You don't know the effect it's going to have in your brain. You can be Paul McCartney and do tons of LSD and be totally fine and, you know, clear-headed in your 80s. Or you can be some of the 21-year-old, you know, burnouts I knew by the time I finished college where it just doesn't do good things for your head. The high stakes is 
It's so true. There's the classic thing of, tell me if you heard this urban legend of the kid who took LSD and turned into a glass of orange juice. No, no. I felt like everyone knew that I, that was the classic. I mean, he turned in his mind he he thought he tried, yeah. for the rest of his life. And we could pull this from my own pages. There was the last day of ninth grade where so many of my friends got acid and all took this batch of acid the same day and right after school, because there was this dealer who lived down the street from our high school who had a ton of it and divvied it up. And, you know, the thing about acid that's different than a lot of drugs is it's a little piece of paper that you can put in your mouth in a second. So there's no, there's no like paraphernalia or weed smell or cutting cocaine up on the mirror. It has this way of blending in. So people were just dosing as, as the bell rang and everybody kind of went their separate ways. And basically everyone who took this batch of acid had a, a lot of them life-altering bad trips. Uh, and it was just going on all over the town. Kind of all, all it takes is a bad batch. Yeah. Uh, also, as the, as the parent of a 10th grader, it just strikes me how shockingly young ninth graders doing this is. Yes. So I had two buddies who went... <laughs> I had so many friends this... I Because I'm remembering all these different stories. And you could do this simultaneously in kind of a montage... But the worst of the situation, and you hear people <laughs> talk about this, the, this kid kind of lost it so much that he told his mom, his friend was over, but he said, mom, I'm having, we took acid and I'm having a really bad time. And my friend is, he's lost it and I'm really worried. And they took him to the emergency room. So there's the classic emergency room scenario in this kid thought that he was in an episode of the state the the 90s uh mtv sketch comedy show yeah yeah and got stuck in the state for hours with famous lines like i want to dip my balls in it and very sagittarius and and um you know michael ian black and all those guys and he ended up going to an institution for a while and i'll never forget this he was convinced that he was Satan sent to earth to diminish all light and goodness in the universe. Wow. (laughs) So that's kind of the depth of that. So that could be second act for sure. And it could be the bad batch that kind of cracks the case. Yeah, I think you're setting up a good first act, second act structure, where first of all, it's all fun and games and everybody's having these wild experiences. And then they hit a bad batch. And then, and I feel like from that point, of our group of kids, maybe some of them walk away. Some of them are messed up by this bad batch and some of them aren't. And they feel like, eh, what's, you know, I, I got through it fine. I'm going to keep going. Yeah. You got to um, keep it going. Yeah. Another arc or sort of another way things could change. I'm, I'm getting a little into casting here, but on the law enforcement sort of slash adult side, I was thinking in the beginning when it's all seems like harmless fun, maybe you have uh, like the kind of like cop or sort of authority figure who comes in to do drug education who's just a doofus who's spouting misinformation that no one takes seriously. Like maybe you get like Jason Sudeikis Mm -hmm. as that. And then as things get bad, 
then you realize, oh, the FBI is actually tracking these dealers. Then you get somebody like Lance Reddick, who it may be too on the nose for somebody busting up a drug ring, but like you get somebody who's like as serious as cancer, you know, law enforcement person. And it's, it's kind of the reveal to the audience, like, oh, this is re- like, you know, this is a real like public health issue that the actual authorities are really serious about. This isn't some dumb, you know, drug education thing. I love it. I like your note of, oh, Sudeikis, Matt Walsh also. We've been rewatching Veep and I would love to see Matt Walsh in a movie like this. Oh, he'd be, he'd be great. He's also just good at being, a, you know, a dorky authority figure who is in the position someone serious should be in, but you don't have any reason to take him seriously. Yes. And it's, you know, I, I went through the UCB thing with hopes of being who knows, but what you learn at UCB is to is this idea of playing to the top of your intelligence when you're improvising. So a lot of times when somebody's in a scene, they think it's going to be funny to be, you know, um, and, oh, yeah, and yeah. bring like the doofus. But Matt Walsh, as Mike McClintock, he is an idiot, but he's trying so hard and he's so lovable. So I think I I love having him as maybe kind of more local law enforcement going in and, and doing the D.A.R.E. program. Oh, yeah, um, and it, it takes somebody smart to write a good dumb guy. Yes. This is I don't know, maybe an obscure show for a lot of our listeners, but there was an Irish sitcom, uh, Father Ted, who was on in the 90s about a chain-smoking, conniving uh, Catholic priest. And the younger priest that he's paired with is that sitcom's dumb guy. But the actor who played Amartya O'Hanlon once said... Well, I never played in Dougal as dumb. I played him as differently clever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they sort of took a smart approach in like, how can we give this guy a way of seeing things that's completely off base rather than just like, dur, 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 but just like, mm-hmm. how can he just draw the wrong conclusion out of every situation? Yes. And he plays him with this kind of childlike, you know, naivete, but the best dumb guys on, you know, sitcoms, cause it's such a stock thing are the ones who they come up with really smart ways to make them dumb. And, talk about stakes you can have the the kids you know tripping their balls off in school which you know my friends did all the time as well which just seems like the dumbest idea then and now what could be a less fun venue to oh that's true yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know it's literally the wall um pink floyd's the wall but there is also this feeling when you're in high school that like this does not matter at all Yes. How can I pass the time faster? And maybe that eases up a little bit as you get closer to like applying to colleges and stuff. But yeah. Then. And it's the kind of passive resistance too, you know, because you know it's BS, but you're stuck there. And so you do these little things like that. But tripping out and then having Matt Walsh come in try and telling you about, uh, you know, this, because that was always the worst thing about D.A.R.E. is that it would be one thing if they were just like, look, cocaine, heroin, stay away. It's really addictive. You know, pot, don't, don't get to, you know, if they like gave oh, reasonable advice, but it was so such scare tactics and just so out to lunch. Well, th- they, there was a study like within recent years that sort of tracked schools that use the D.A.R.E. program and uh, you know, adults who had gone to those schools and kids who were exposed to D.A.R.E. were more likely to use drugs later in life. Mm-hmm. Because it was all these half-truths to just make you not trust anything anybody says. Yeah. The best drug education I ever got as a teenager was from my music teacher, who weirdly uh, had been trained as a pharmacist and then became the oboe player for the Buffalo Philharmonic. <laughs> in one of, you know, just one of those weird, life takes you strange places. But he told me the effect different drugs have on the body and the brain. And he mm. was like, the way you described cocaine was, 
your emotions or your like happiness is on a scale of one to 10 and 10 is like, you know, winning the Super Bowl, and cocaine is a 50. And that sounds great the first couple of times, but then every good thing that happens in your life is an eight or a nine or a 10 out of 50. And as, oh, okay. And as a, you know, a kid who could sort of grasp long-term consequences, it was very clear, like, oh, this is why this messes you up. Yeah. And this is why it's addictive because if you're on a scale, if everything in your life is eight or nine on a scale of one to 50, then you really want to get back to that 50. Yeah. And it takes a long time to get off of it and recalibrate your brain back to that. And I feel like, yeah, if they had just given us facts and science, I I feel like that would have had a much better effect on a lot of kids. But also the idea of a class full of kids who are tripping their faces off listening to this, you know, sort of stupid drug education. uh, That seems like a great juxtaposition. It's funny. um, A lot of the movies we do on the show, we sort of wrestle with the tone. Is this a really black comedy? Is it a comedy comedy? Is it just black? Is it just a tragedy? Mm-hmm. And this kind of seems like it skirts a lot of different tones. Yeah. And, and you want somebody who can handle that well, because it kind of goes from being like on my list of directors, my starting point was Richard Linklater. Cause he gave us the mm-hmm. quintessential drug hangout movie with yeah. Jason confused. And he also did waking life, which is all animated and has this very psychedelic yes. vibe. So he has a couple of those pieces, but you kind of want this to start off feeling like a hangout movie and then for things to go wrong and for to, to, to end as kind of a serious and tragic story for a lot of these characters. And I don't know if he's quite the right guy. And I don't know if he's maybe too on the nose. I sort of went from there to Boots Riley, who did Sorry to Bother You. Oh. And, you know, he had a lot of surrealist visuals, very much in the vein of Michel Gondry, but he also just packed so many interesting ideas into that movie. And basically, it's one of my favorite movies the last 10 years, and I'm just looking for him to do a second one. Me too. I think Uh, both of those guys, I love both of those suggestions. Both of them seem like they only do their own kind of passion projects. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how you motivate either of them (laughs) to do it. And the third name I came up with was Olivia Wilde, Mm. who, because she she directed Booksmart, and she just got teenagers so right. I loved it. Where so many movies don't. I loved um, it. Yeah. And there is that scene where they get high and turn into puppets. So I feel like she could find interesting ways to represent an acid trip on screen that aren't the cliched flashing colors and, you know. Who did eighth grade? Oh, was that Bo Burnham? Let yeah. Me... I was not a big Bo Burnham fan before eighth grade, but I loved eighth grade, which kind of going back to tone resonates with what I was going to say is a lot of the actors that I picked out were comedians that I feel like can be so I I talked about Matt Walsh I was thinking about the lab guys I think that the people making the LSD is going to be a great kind of like breaking bad adjacent kind of thing but more nerdy are you familiar with Connor the comedian Connor O'Malley I don't think so the way you might know him is he played back before Louie uh died uh, he played young Louie in, in oh, okay. flashbacks. To, I don't know if you watched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I watched uh, the first couple seasons of that. And, yeah, and... he played the flashbacks of Louie. Um, he's a complete, absurd, insane person uh, who does a lot of really transgressive, uh, really great comedy and YouTube stuff. And he was on Seth. Um... Yes, yeah, so he, was, he was a writer on Seth Meyers on Pull Up His yeah. Wikipedia. And the Chris Gethard show, he had a recurring role on Shrill. He's been on Search Party. Yes, he's married to A.D. Bryant. Yeah, yeah. Also, this is, I don't know, maybe weirdly judgmental or maybe 
uh, appreciative, but I feel like yeah, if he grew his hair a little bit longer, he could absolutely seem like the kind of guy who was brewing acid in the nineties. Yes, definitely. <laughs> no, he's got a, he's, he's nut. I definitely recommend going down a Connor O'Malley rabbit hole on, on YouTube. And I really think that he should be in a lot of things. Another comedian that I think could do great dramatic stuff as well, like as he did in Catastrophe, would be Rob Delaney. Oh, yeah, yeah. Either as like a lab guy or as a law enforcement. I was going to say, yeah, he you could see him just as easily as like one of the cops in the unserious. Yes. Part of the movie. Yeah. Or actually, even as like a cop who's actually not the drug education guy who's kind of a joke, but a cop who's, you know, local cop who's doing his job and then realizes like, oh, the FBI are involved. This is getting real. And it's yes. only a, a little bit over his head, but isn't a doofus. It's just kind of a small town cop who now suddenly realizes he's dealing with this much bigger problem than he realized. I could see him being the cop whose who's kid has a bad trip. And so he comes home and his kid is losing it. I would love to see him doing the classic talk down to a kid who is way out of their depths and kind of having a, a massive panic attack. Yeah, yeah, he'd be, he'd, be, he'd be great for that. Going with the comedy vein, I have, you got to have a kingpin of the kind of drug syndicate. And I thought Mark Marin could be great. Huh. <laughs> That's I, funny. Like this is, this is maybe the third time on the show somebody suggested Mark Marin for a role and it always surprises me. And then I always think, oh yeah. Yeah, he's. I, I feel like he's getting his acting chops together. Yeah, and he kind of has that vibe you want because you don't want you don't want somebody to be sort of too over the top because you don't want him to come across as silly. But you don't necessarily need Gus Fring to be your you know overlord here. It's just a yeah. guy who you know maybe followed the dead for a while and has found a way to make money. Exactly. So I guess that's all my comedy adjacent people. Next, let's talk about kids. So. It might make more sense just casting wise or just to talk about to do this as college kids, because I don't really know a lot of high school age actors. The only people I could think of were the Stranger, <laughs> Stranger Things cast. It's, it's funny because that's been a running joke in the show since the very, very beginning that I don't know any kids and I just go with the Stranger Things cast. That being said, I think Finn Wolfhard would do great as a like kid who's trying acid. He has that kind of spacey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. vibe sometimes it's tough because if you cast older actors you know you have a better sort of choice of more experienced actors but at the same time i think you want to hit home how young these kids are yes and i think you want people actually in high school and actually you mentioned eighth grade and elsie fisher who started in that i was just looking her up she's only 17 still yeah but she's somebody else you can put in this i had a list it was basically just like who's in this age range who was good in something that i like Oh, great. And so I came up with like Lana Condor, who was great in To All the Boys I've Loved Before, and then hasn't really been getting a lot of calls mm-hmm. after that. Amanda Stenberg from The Hate You Give. She's 22, but still, I think, could pass for high school. Mm-hmm. I just started watching Umbrella Academy, and Aiden Gallagher plays like a 13-year-old time traveler who, basically because he's traveled through time so many times, he has like the mind of a 50-year-old because he's experienced all this stuff, but he's still a 13-year-old kid. And so he's like, he, he really like sells the hell out of that role. It was very entertaining in it. There's Marcy Martin from Blackish. Yeah, I don't know a ton of teenage actors. Another person who's a little bit too old, but I liked and still looks young is uh, Geraldine Viswanathan from Blockers, who was okay. kind of the, she was one of the kids in that movie and was kind of the breakout 
star and again like hasn't gotten a ton of love since then so i'm basically just looking for like teenage because there aren't any particular you need this person you need this person you just kind of want to throw in a bunch of kids who can act and would be good in something and you kind of want a diverse group of like types of actors because as you said in the intro this wasn't just one little subculture it was kind of you know the jocks and the nerds and the you know kind of every every group of kids was dabbling this to some extent so then you have like the the local deal like your dealers like the dealers that deal to the high school kids can be a little older like they can be college age but they might not be going to college yeah you um, want somebody like in their 20s who doesn't read as an adult to teenagers but is still older than the teenagers i thought lucas hedges he's one of my favorite actors oh yeah or timothy chalamet yeah yeah i mean I don't know how we pry him away from being in every other movie. Yeah, I know. So, so Lucas, Lucas Hedges would probably be my, my go-to. Um, I just think he's, he's so uh, great. I've loved him and everything he's done. And then as I was trying to think of kids, I thought of Haley Stanfield, who's now not really a kid anymore, but I thought that she could be a great undercover agent oh, to yeah. go to kind of lure the Lucas Hedges character into uh, incriminating himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, another, just going back again to dealers, that's also a good place you can plug in like youngish comedians because you kind of want somebody who's going to be like charismatic to teenagers, like somebody who would seem like the cool, you know, older kid that they want to hang out with and buy LSD from. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't know, I mean, I don't know the specific names, but it just hit me that like that's that's a very good like casting uh, I don't know, direction. This was also a fun thing for me to just think of my, my favorite actors and put them in this movie. Well, that's the whole, that's what the whole show is about. Yeah. I really want Michael Stahlberg to be the head of the FBI. <laughs> um, I just, anytime Michael Stahlberg, he's one of those, somebody tweeted this uh, a few months ago and was like, who's the actor that when you see them on the screen, you immediately just yell their name. And Michael Stahlberg is that for me. I fell in love with his acting on Boardwalk Empire. And then A Serious Man is is probably my favorite Coen Brothers movie. And I just think he could be uh, amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because that's a role that could just be bland authority figure. I think you want somebody who always brings something interesting to his roles to to make that a more, to make that a character and not just kind of a stock, like a suit. Yeah. Do you have other casting stuff um that's all i got this one was a little bit harder because there weren't specific people to look up so i just kind of researched a bunch of kids and well i like how amorphous this is i feel like from listening to a few episodes of this show which i'm loving um this is definitely much more amorphous but i think i really can say how is this not a movie and i will bend anyone's ear about the 90s lsd thing if i can and and i think that there's just so much to get to the bottom to well like you said at the beginning like other drugs have kind of gotten a lot of serious movie treatments and lsd hasn't really and it's been a part of the culture for 50 years but also you know we're kind of right at the right time for some 90s nostalgia but so many nostalgia based movies you know aren't really a like realistic look at the underside of something it's more just like hey remember flip phones you know Mm -hmm. whatever the whatever the thing was from the era 
you know, I think it's very worthwhile to go back to like, oh, look at the sort of trouble people were getting into in the 90s. Yes. Because you can still have this, the music and the, you know, fashion signifiers and all that stuff that, but it's more of like a period piece that actually says something about that era than the kind of nostalgia movie, frankly, that Days and Confused was. Yes. And the 90s are interesting because I feel like the 90s are kind of a mirror image of the 60s. People were so obsessed with the 60s and the 90s. So I think you could really play on that as well. Oh, yeah. And I feel like that was part of the cultural research of LSD. It was like this. This was cool. And the, you know, we, our parents music we grew up on led us to believe this was cool. And so we're embracing this. As far as soundtrack, I was thinking, you know, we talked about Fish and maybe some Grateful Dead. There was this the Red Hot Chili Peppers guitarist, John Frusciante, put out this album um, around the same time that they did Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And it was when he was really losing his mind uh, on drugs. And I think it would be perfect for this. It's very experimental. He was recording a lot of the stuff in his weird castle house in, in LA with River Phoenix and Johnny Depp and stuff. And... Um, it's perfectly strange. Yeah, that's that's good. I, that, that also reminded me of another one-time Real Head Chili Peppers guitarist solo project. Um, the Dave Navarro did this album in 94 called Deconstruction. It was just him, I think. I think he played all the instruments. And it was all instrumentals. And it just sounded like, you know, it sounded like mid-90s alt-rock. Yeah. But instrumental. So that seemed that would make an interesting score. Yeah. I also just had this idea, as you were saying all that, that... If this movie takes place over a couple of years, as the scene kind of degenerates from like, hey, this is fun to like, oh, this is less fun. It would be kind of fun if you went from first wave grunge bands like Nirvana and Soundgarden to like the second wave imitators who were kind of droney and depressing and not as good. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like you could use the music as sort of a signifier of like, oh, things are going bad. Now we're listening to Limp Bizkit. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And then I was also thinking also just because I love these composers, but in the same way that we're talking about how you don't do, you don't portray LSD by, you know, making the screen go, Ooh, yeah, yeah. You know, um, in the same way, you don't necessarily want trippy music for trips. And I was thinking some really beautiful, intense string quartet kind of stuff could be great. And I thought of Andre Desplat, who did Tree of Life and a lot of Wes Anderson stuff. And he did the Little Woman soundtrack, which was beautiful. The really intense kind of beautiful strings could be great. Also, uh, Nicholas Bretel. I first had to look him up after I saw If Beale Street Could Talk, which I was let down by because I loved Moonlight so much and I loved the book If Beale Street Could Talk. But I thought the music was amazing. And he also does the music for Succession. Oh, Yeah. Oh, that's a great choice. And you're also, you're the first guest in the show who's ever brought up like a, the composer for the score. And I appreciate you put that much thought into it because that, it makes all the difference in a movie. Yeah. And then the only other actor that I want in this thing, and it's, I'm looking at my list and I'm, went, I'm very redhead heavy and I don't know why that is. Oh, actually two. And they're both in the same movie, which I'm so excited to see. One is Lakeith Stanfield, who's not a redhead. That's that's the other one I was thinking right. of. Um, and Jesse Plemons, who just is so great in everything, especially, uh, you know, Fargo and the TV show and, and Breaking Bad. Oh, the two, the two of them are just great in everything. And like, if I've, I've cast them both in stuff recently in this show because you could put either one of them in anything and they're going to be good. 
I think that Lakeith Stanfield is probably the best actor we have in in our world right now. We don't have a, any women. Uh, we're kind of uh, aside from Haley Stanfield, and I guess some of the the kids. Um, yes, you want to you want to balance there. I feel like you know, '90s law enforcement was probably not you know all that. There wasn't probably that much gender parity. Not not to say you couldn't throw in a woman playing one of the cops. I think the teachers are going to be more of a split. Yeah. And the and parents, it, it depends on how sprawling you want this cast to be too, to the point where I'm always wondering, is this a movie like, like traffic that juggles a lot of storylines and a lot of characters with a lot of real narrative efficiency, or is this a streaming series where you have time to spread out a little bit? I feel like the, the impact of the story arc you talk about where it starts off as being sort of this fun thing that kind of goes sour I feel like that's lessened over the course of the series. I feel like you yeah. kind of need a movie to encapsulate that. So I don't, you don't want the cast to be too sprawling. I agree. Although I think that the, well, you're going to need a mom that trip to the emergency room, taking your, your kid and his friend to the emergency room. Well, I think maybe you, to keep it simple, you have Rob Delaney as the, you know, the, the cop was also a parent and you partner him with somebody Mm-hmm. who maybe you see more on the parenting side or, you know, or maybe works for the school and that way you can kind of have them do double duty and, oh, okay. you know, the economy of storytelling. Yeah. Maybe I could see Annie Murphy with, with Rob Delaney, uh, trying, <laughs> trying to bring their kid from the brink. I'm, I'm trying to see how old she is. Cause she seems like maybe too young to be the parent of a teenager. And weirdly her Wikipedia page doesn't list her age. So interesting. I also, I don't know how much of a wink and a nod you want to get with casting people from the 90s in this movie about the 90s. But um, um, uh, for some reason, Jean uh, Garofalo came to mind. Yes. Because she's done a couple serious roles and I think has acting chops that haven't really been utilized. And she hasn't really been in anything in a long time and uh, is, is just another one of those people that I like seeing get more work. I like that. Because I think you also want somebody with Rob Delaney who, you know, who sort of have some banter and some chemistry as parents and who aren't i think it's more interesting to not have the like super strict parents who are coming down hard on the kid and they escape into a world of drugs i think you want somebody who are kind of like see themselves as laid back liberal parents and then are like wait a minute what what was my kid been doing under my nose yeah and and have a little bit of a sense of the absurdity of the situation yeah so has this end it obviously ends with the ring going down and with some jail time Maybe somebody uh, pops in their last 10 strip of acid before they surrender themselves to the cops. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think maybe that's it. I think maybe the, the group of kids you focus on have different outcomes, you know, like somebody uh, does that. And so maybe, maybe somebody has, you know, is institutionalized with psychological problems or, or maybe not that's that degree of severity, but has some, some lasting problems from this. And somebody just walks away clean and goes off to college and, you know, and maybe sort of like the end of train spotting somebody, somebody fools themselves that they're done with this. Well, you know, just to not be too dare about this, the kid who I talked about who thought he was Satan sent to diminish all light and goodness in the universe ended up working for NASA um, <laughs> and, is, and went to Brown. So I think, uh, you know. Oh, and that's the, like a lot of the you know, friends of mine from college who used LSD a lot are, you know, responsible adults with like one of them's a college math professor and 
you know, it's not like this is ruins everyone's lives. It's, it ruins us fractions of people's lives. Yeah. And that's worrying enough. So maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe one person is suffering the, you know, results of this. And maybe it's the, you know, maybe it's the Mark Marin or, or the lower level dealers who are tapping the pop of acid as the cops take them away because this is their whole life. And yeah, I, I, I kind of think the rest of the kids are probably fine, but they're a little bit shaken up by their friend who isn't. And then the other, if we want to do a commentary about drugs, you know, then it, it moves to meth, you know, which is, is actually destroys lives. You know, that some of these, some of these folks go that way, yeah, the, deal, yeah. the dealers and the, and some of the kids, you know? Well, yeah. Maybe, and maybe that's how, I don't think, you, I don't think you necessarily want just the simple like gateway drug thing, because that was one of the lies that they're told whether yeah. it happens sometimes or not. Yeah, I think the dealers is the approach to get like, oh, they just got a new product on the market. Where do you get where do you get this? And they're pushing on some of the, you know, some of the kids who are more susceptible. And yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe you end it with that note of like, you know, for some of these kids, this was harmless fun and they're going to be fine. But like things are going to get about to get a lot worse for a lot of people. Yeah, it depends on what kind of person you are. Right. And it depends on your upbringing and, and just who, who you are as a, as a individual. And then it also depends, as we said before, on the luck of the draw, right? Yeah. <laughs> the just same way as every chemistry. time, yeah, every time you pop a tab of acid, the same way every time anyone uses drugs, you know, they, yeah, it's, it's the luck of the draw. It's like you said, brain chemistry. I'm not sure how you portray that note, but I think you, maybe that's the, that's the note that you end on that like some of these kids just had, you know, they all did the same thing and some of them were just lucky and some of them weren't. Yeah. Yeah. And that could even be a thing of like down the hatch, like let's see what happens, you know, it's yeah, kind yeah. of that Alice in Wonderland kind of thing. I'm excited. I know. I, was, I, I want to see this movie. Yeah. So that's our movie. Thanks again to John Reed. Check out his show race to the bottom on radio free Brooklyn. If you have any thoughts on LSD high school or ideas for other movies that need to get made, hit us up on Twitter at why movie. You can find my column wiki wormhole in the AV club every Sunday. You can read student journalism, hear college radio and listen to other lesser podcasts on our parent website, subjectmedia.org. Stay safe out there. Keep wearing a mask. Keep yourself sane. We'll be back next time on. Why, 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 why is this not a movie?